So how are you doing, man? I so enjoyed that uh, worship time together, such beautiful songs and just being before the Lord, and I so enjoyed what you shared, Stefan, as well. I just thought, wow, we could just get some of those dimensions right. You know, the way we see God determines everything. The way we see God, your view of God determines absolutely everything in your life. If you've got a small view of God, it affects You've got a high view of God and the gospel and what he's done in Christ. It affects everything. So we're going to have some fun this morning. Uh, I've got an interesting message. It's lots of Bible, but it's from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. I want to speak to you on being safe and secure in the sovereignty of God. It's not going to focus too much on the doctrine of sovereignty in terms of explaining it theologically, but you're going to see it at work in the way God's purposes work out in ways that are just too wonderful, too glorious to really comprehend from time to time. So I'm going to give it a go. And I want to direct your attention to uh, the screens, and we're going to uh, uh, read from Jeremiah chapter 29... You got it? Is it on the screen? There we are. Uh, from verse 1 to 14. And uh, what's lovely about reading all of these texts is you, you see a lot of Bible names. So if you're going to have kids, you can sort of potentially think, yes, no, yes, no. All right. Okay. This is the text of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles. And to the priests, the prophets, and all the others Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is after the original king down in uh, Jerusalem, King uh, Jeconiah, the queen mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah uh, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metalsmiths had been exiled from Jerusalem. They were the first wave of captives from Jerusalem into Babylon. This was uh, this letter. The letter was entrusted to Elisa, the son of Shaphan. There's an interesting name, Shaphan. If you had a little boy, Shaphan. Okay, and uh, Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It's stated. This is the letter now. This is what the Lord of Hosts, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles who were carried away. From Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Seek the prosperity of the city to which I have sent you as exiles. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for if it prospers, You too will prosper. For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says. Do not be deceived by the prophets and diviners among you. Do not listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are falsely prophesying to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For this is what the Lord says. When Babylon's 70 years are complete, I will attend to you and confirm my promise to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you 
and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore you from captivity and gather you from all the nations and places which are to which I have banished you, declares the Lord, I will restore you to the place from which I sent you into exile. Very interesting passage of Scripture, and it carries the fact that God has plans, plural, over human history. The plans con- are about, are they, they speak to and affect his own people, and also nations of the world. Now, a whole lot has happened in our world since the last time I preached to you. I don't know if you know this, that last year was, I think, the last time I preached on a Sunday, is it? And back then, we didn't have a war in Ukraine. We didn't have oil prices going through the roof. We didn't have uh, Johnson kicked out of government in the UK. We haven't seen China and Taiwan having their standoff. We haven't seen all the politics of America play out as much as we've seen in the last nine, ten months since I was last year. It's crazy. The world has changed. Are you, are you, would you agree with that? If I were to say it a little stronger, the world is crazy. Well, that's the world that Jeremiah is prophesying into. It's crazy. There are people movements, there's wars, there's uncertainty, there's economic pressures. Even Nebuchadnezzar is having a hard time at this time. Doesn't, you, don't, you don't get in the text, but this is what's happening. The world is being shaken a little. And then, of course, the Bible is just pregnant with this, this, this concept of God being large and in charge, the fact that he is sovereign over all, uh, and that he's able to work within a broken world to accomplish his own good. Remember Romans 8.28, Sue preached it yesterday. Uh, in her message, or spoke, used it one of her verses, is that God is able to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is at work in the craziness. And I mean, she preached on the life of Joseph, and just to commend her, she was able to show how all the sin of everybody else still accomplished the purposes of God. And if that's not enough, all the sin of the world, putting Jesus on a cross, God said, thank you very much. I'll use the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. I'll make it the best thing that ever happens to the world. Who could operate like that unless you are really large and in charge? Of course... If you don't have a high view of God in the midst of this, and you don't understand that he's sovereign and in, in control, it can throw us from time to time. How many of you every now and then have a little panic attack? Okay, don't put your hand up. Uh, just, just feeling like, ah, is there a place to get off the world, you know? And here's a great quote. Fear lives and rules in the heart of a believer who has forgotten God's sovereignty and grace. Fear lives. If you don't have a view of God, you don't have another option unless you just want to back yourself. Not a great option because you're finite. Fear lives and rules in the heart of a believer who has forgotten God's sovereignty and grace. 
And so if left to myself without God, I should be afraid. I should be afraid. If God is not the one you're looking to, and you've got a low view of God, it's, and that's what I loved about Stefan's thing is, I saw the Lord. He didn't see a pixie tiptoeing through the tulips with a magic wand doing a few little things and adding comfort to our life. I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. The message of the gospel is that I haven't been left to myself. The message of the gospel is that God has invaded history in the person of Jesus Christ and he has served notice in Christ on all the principalities and powers and darkness and evil and says, I have a plan that I'm working out after the counsel of my own will and wisdom and I will have the last word in history and I will wrap it up at the climax of the ages and I will be glorified and my church will be gloriously with me forever and ever. Having said that, security for us is not the absence of danger, but it's the presence of God no matter what the danger. So many of us are wanting to live our lives, put the big walls, get rid of all the stuff, and phew, folk, you can't, there are no walls big enough to protect us from some of the issues. You know, there's a little thing called a virus can just jump over the wall and get you. I'm not prophesying that over you. I'm just saying, let's not get silly. Okay. So, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 is that verse that we've sent to somebody to encourage them in a really difficult time, haven't we? Oh, I've got this verse for you. This is what the Lord says. I know the plans I have for you to give you, you know, to give you a hope and a future, and it's a beautiful verse. How many of us love that verse? How many of us have sent that verse to somebody? How many of us have prayed it? Oh, you're going through difficult time, shells. The Lord says, I, I know the plans I have for you. Isn't it nice that he knows his plans? He doesn't just have plans. He knows the plans he has for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Plans for your good, not for your harm. That's amazing. Only problem is this passage is not given to any individuals. It's given to a community. It's spoken to, to a nation under the discipline of God, and he's comforting them. When the one moment he's raised up Nebuchadnezzar to take his people who've been uh, worshipping idols, breaking the law, and God says, I've been appealing to you for my prophets for hundreds of years. This is D-Day. You're now coming under my love, my loving, firm hand of discipline. And he uses pagan kings to take his very own sons and daughters into exile in Babylon. And they're having to wake up to the reality that this is going to be something they're going to live in for decades. Enter the Prophecy Olympics. Wimbledon sort of prophecy, you know, competition between two prophetic figures in Jerusalem, in Israel at the time. The one is Jeremiah, humble, God's spoken to him. He's taken 
a yoke. A yoke is that wooden thing you put over an ox to drag the ox on. He's put on a wooden yoke to model. I mean, imagine having to do that, the humiliation, to walk before the people of God, and he's wearing this yoke to illustrate we, God's very own people, are under the yoke of his judgment. There's nothing we can do about it. Ah, but he didn't know that there was another prophet in time by the name of Hananiah. Now, I want to ask you, you have a son, do you want to call him Jeremiah or Hananiah? You're about to find out why you'll never call your child Hananiah. Hananiah is like a prosperity preacher. He's like a guy who, who goes around telling everybody good news because good news makes sure that he gets the push. So I'm not, I'm not being mean. I'm just wanting us to, to, to re- really realize this thing of people going around on TV promising easy success and all of that. It's been around. It's, part, it's, not, it's not just the fact that people will preach this kind of message. It's because... There's so many people who want to hear this kind of message, and so people preach to what people want to hear. Now, if you're under the firm hand of the Lord's discipline, you've got to choose which message do you want to hear, Jeremiah's or Hananiah's. And Hananiah, boldly in front of all the, those other kings and royalty in Jerusalem that haven't yet, there's a second wave coming. They're going, they're going to Babylon. They, don't just, they just don't know when. They're there, and Jeremiah stands up in the court with all of them, and he's, uh, not Jeremiah, Hananiah, and uh, with all his fan base, and he says, oh, I've got some wonderful news for you. He's, he's been reading behind the scenes that there's some political upheaval in Babylon, which some kingdoms are not fully submitting to Nebuchadnezzar. So he reads, oh, early warning uh, that, that God is on the move, and our deliverance is coming sooner than we realize. So in front of everybody, he comes and he takes the yoke off Jeremiah and he breaks it and he humiliates him in front of everybody. And he says, thus says the Lord, in two years time, Jeconiah and the royal household are all coming back to Jerusalem. All the temple gold and silver plates that were taken off to Nebuchadnezzar are now coming back to the temple. Yay! How many of you say amen? Give me, give me five hallelujahs. Not you to me. <laughs> I told you we'd have a little bit of fun, but I'm telling you, we're not laughing on the inside. We're seeing some of the humor of what's being playing out of here, but there's weight here, and it's weight that applies to our moment in history, and I want you to see it. It is just so anchoring, safe and secure in God's sovereignty. God is at work in the world, not because the newspapers say everything's wonderful. Not just because the price of petrol is going up or coming down or interest rates are going up or going down. God is at work in the world full stop. God is at work here. And Jeremiah, like a very humble servant of God, says out loud to everybody, Amen. He adds his Amen. He says, Amen. I wish it were so. And then he goes home and he sits on it. So it's now Jeremiah's turn. So he gives a massive backhander back of prophetic truth and, and, and scores the point. And I'll show you how he scores it. He basically just says, he's, God says to him on his own, he says, I want you to go and have a word with Hananiah. Tell him this. Because he's prophesying lies in my name, it's a very, very dangerous thing 
to lead the people of God astray with heresy and error and easy believism because it has consequences for how people live. So Jeremiah is sent to go and tell Hananiah this message. Thus says the Lord, you've been lying to my people. You can't get away with it. And before the end of the year, you're going to die. Scary stuff. Two months later, he dies. What was his, what did he say? In two years, everything will be hunky-dory. Everything will be fantastic. We'll all be back. Throw a party now because it's going to come. Nebuchadnezzar is going down. Hannah and I went down. Even well within the two-year framework that he thought Israel would be delivered. And it's into this context that when Hanani died, Jeremiah now, now write, writes a letter. So the, the message in Jerusalem that Jeremiah brought was corrective. He had to correct what was wrong. It was the home game. He had to get it sorted out. Folk, we've got to get our home game. We've got to make sure we're preaching the truth in the home game. But for the away match, for those brothers and sisters on the other side that were already under Nebuchadnezzar's heel, he writes a letter of prophetic encouragement. And that's the letter we've just written about. I know the plans that I have for you. But the backdrop to all of that, or the heart of all of that, is he calls his people to do five things. Five things as you yield to my sovereignty as you embrace my curriculum of sovereignty, as you say yes to living for my glory in your away match. You want to be home, heaven's home, but we're not going to get there anytime soon, necessarily. Some of you sooner than others, like me. But others, it's going to take, you know, this notion of, yes, there is the second coming and there is this great thing. But in the meantime, five things he calls his people to do. Now, if you come back this time next week, I'll give you those five things. Okay, I'll behave. This is the letter to all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had carried away, captive from Jerusalem. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away. Some people just read the first part. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar did a bad guy, bad king. Poor Israel. Now God says, no, 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 no. I did it. I just used that guy. The donkey was Nebuchadnezzar. I'm the king. He's just a means to work out my purposes. And he says, this is the council. Number one, move all the way in to the city. He says to his people who are feeling the vulnerability of not being in Jerusalem, we're not home yet, we're not in heaven yet, how do we live our life? You live your life like exiles, empowered by the truth of the gospel. The danger of the prosperity preachers is they can't have trouble because they've got too small a view of God. They can't embrace suffering because then, oops, we're going to have a hard time and God didn't come into this world to, to, Jesus suffered so we'd never have to ever suffer again. That is a lie and it's a deception. Jesus suffered to show us how we could suffer, except his suffering was for our atonement. Our suffering is for our discipleship, 
for our formation. You grow more in a fiery furnace than you do in a jacuzzi. And the thing in the jacuzzi, it's got algae and all that stuff. You don't want to be in a jacuzzi. Swimming pool, you know, and beach. Fiery furnace, everything is purified, cleansed. So, But he's saying the problem with the prosperity preachers, they had too small a view of God. When you understand, God says, I sent you there. I can keep you there. I can make you flourish there. I want you to move right all the way in. I want you to know that what I've put into you makes you a really robust presence in the world. You know, the church is described as a, as a, as a vine. Do you know that grape vine is a weed? I've been showing these guests that we've had, taking them to a few wine tastings, and, and, and they explain stuff about the vine. It is incredibly hardy. The roots go, can go down into the rocks, and it just finds water. The church is a fruitful vine. It grows over a wall, according to Genesis chapter 49. But here's the problem. It's a hard issue. How do you move into a city... How do you move into all the way in when, when its leaders have caused you so much harm? Some incredible parallels here. The same people who have crushed my brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem are now in charge of where I am. How do I move all the way in and want to be with them? So there's a little bit of a problem going on here. You say, what's that, Rigby? Well, there was a group of the Israels wanting from the book of Ezekiel, they you get this, this other stuff that's not mentioned in Isaiah. They were camping at the Kibar River. It's like saying, you know, we're happy to be here, but we're going we're gonna to make sure we live most of our life at Hermanus, away from horrible Cape Town and all its challenges and all the... We, we just don't want to be too close to where the trouble is. We're there, but not all the way in. This is what's happening. And they were like, they were like, like protecting themselves. They weren't giving themselves, they were withdrawing and they were retreating and they were like resistant to its culture, to its music, to, oh, we, we long for Jewish dancing and singing. I got somebody to see that, you know. And uh, yeah, 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 I'll do autographs afterwards. The, the point is, they, they would dance and sing in Jerusalem. Now God says, move all the way in. Be, embrace. You don't, have to give, you don't have to lose your sense of identity. But you've you got to go in there and start to celebrate. Have some meals that are a little bit different. Stop being so protective of your old home game lifestyle. You've got to start to embrace the away match. Get stretched a little. So practically, what does that mean for us here in Cape Town? It means for us in this congregation is we've got to start to love the communities we're a part of. Move in, be part of it. Join a book club, uh, join a sports club, get, get to know people. And of course, for heaven's sake, you've heard it over and over again, and I'm getting money from Stefan today to say join a life group. And when you move into the city on your, through your, the vehicle of your vocation, your vocation is not the thing that gives you your salary. Or your, God gives you a salary through your vocation. Your vocation is your way of moving all the way into the city and all the different spheres and dimensions of life to be a presence for Christ there. If you're a teacher, yes, teach and be the best teacher you can be. 
in that, in that school. You're a university aspiring lecturer. Be the best you can be in that thing, but you're not doing it as a teacher. You're doing it as an urban missionary. Okay. This is going to be a little bit of a longer message because I have really, really put my heart and soul into this. But I, I, if, if any of you are bored, you're welcome just to put your hand up and just say, Rigby, I'm bored. Okay, you won't do that, will you? Okay, quickly, move along. So what's the first thing God says to his people? Move all the way in. Number two, he says, stay distinct. Be different. Rather than, you can move all the way in, but you don't have to remember, resemble everything. I mean, our culture is broken. It's moving in as a witness to its joys, but also to its pain. It's not that you have to kind of uh, be transformed into it or remove yourself from it. But you do have to serve it. So how can we be distinct is the first one. Be distinct, be different. Be in it, not outside of it. So the, the Babylonians had a strategy. Did you notice the list of all those that were carried? It was the rulers, it was the top master skilled people, the craftsmen, all of those people. Why did Babylon, why did Nebuchadnezzar want all of those top dogs in, Nebuchadnezzar, in, in Babylon? Because they wanted to grow the skills base. They wanted to use people to build their city. The opposite is also true for us. You can go in there and want to use the city to build you. It's both of these things, and God's saying there's a better way. So they wanted to, they thought that over the next number of decades, they'll forget about Yahweh in Jerusalem. They'll forget about their spiritual identity as the people of God, and they'll just get sucked in and assimilated. So he didn't think, I should kill them. Just put on, make them so welcome in Babylon. Fuck, our world has rolls out the red carpet to us through movies, through Netflix, through entertainment, through... There's so much that says all are welcome. And therein lies the track, because we can go through all of those doors and find that we are no longer transforming the environment and we are being colonized, transformed ourselves. And that's really why some of the Jews think we don't want to be... You know, we don't want to be assimilated, so then they practice the separate kind of thing. God's answer is, no, you can stay distinct in the middle of all of these pressures because, again, you are a, you are a robust people, and the gospel that's shaping us is a robust message. He says, I want you to be my city within the city of man, set on a hill that does marriage better than the culture that does parenting better than the culture. He says, what culture needs is not a Christian majority. It needs a compelling minority. We've got to live it out in a way. And Jesus said to his few disciples, you, 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 you're the city, sit on a hill. Looked at those apostolic pioneers. He says, you're enough for what I want to do to get this thing going. He didn't say, oh, get, you know, get into the, you know, have a political agenda to subject everyone to Christian Doctrine. No, it doesn't happen like that because that's all external. You want a transforming agenda where the gospel is lived out in a compelling way by a community and then we do life with those people and they say, as you've heard me say so often, who are you guys? Where do you come from? Take me to your leader. It's lovely to say, share those jokes over and over because... You did give a polite laugh. I heard somebody just giggle over there. 
And here's the thing that we need to say to one another. If we're not distinct, if we're not different, if we're not maintaining our identity, our culture is going to have us for breakfast. And if we're casual about things like church attendance and exposing our kids to kids rock and youth at Ignite and all of those things, if we're casual, it's just a matter of time. Ten years, twenty years go by and you'll see your kids being an echo of the culture, not a voice for truth. Those little diamonds in the rough that have been entrusted to you need to be in a place where we do life together and they're at the center of it. Third thing is, number one, give it back to me. Move all the way in. Number two, stay distinct. Number three, increase, do not decrease. Look what it says. Take wives for your sons and your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Now you're seeing more of a 70-year picture of the future. God's got a long-term agenda for the people being able to thrive in Babylon. Exiles being able to be excellent in the way they live out their faith. And he says, multiply there. Do not decrease. Friends, I want you to see the first layer of this is raising godly, servant-hearted families is a beautiful blessing to the city we're in. I'm not telling anybody to quickly go and have babies or anything like that. I'm just saying that, and particularly don't do that if you're not married. It's take wives for your sons and daughters. You've got to get married first and then they can have sons and daughters. And this idea is a multi-generational, intergenerational sense of future. Look, I am so confident about the power of the gospel to transform marriages and families and lives. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying we live untested lives. I'm just saying we live incredibly Rooted lives under a God who's watching it all. He's at work in our lives. He's in, he is uh, watching over his word to perform it in these wonderful ways. And decreasing in number is like capitulation. It's like surrender. It's saying, oh, we don't belong here. We've got to play it safe. We don't want to be part of this puffy, horrible world. So we're not going to grow families. God's saying the exact opposite. In a world that's broken with all these fault lines, Sail into the eye of the storm and saying, hello, we're here and we're going to live our lives out loud for the glory of God. Can I have a yeah? Okay, okay. And we need to have a little bit of that in our hearts around our church presence in our communities. You want to be a bonsai bush that is nice and manicured and, and small and tidy and, oh, look at that beautiful little bush, it's so nice. Or do you want to be a fruitful vine that grows over all kinds of obstacles and you start to get a strategy for life groups that are not just belonging to our church. They're strategically commissioned into different parts within the next 10-minute radius of here. You say, hey, where or 15 minutes, where do we want to have life groups for the future? Because they are a mini presence of a, of a colony of heaven on earth and we are going to uh, be a presence, a witnessing, life-giving presence in those communities. like to ask you a question. When last did you invite somebody in your sphere, not your home group, not your family, when last did you live your life intentionally with people around a dining room table and start a journey with them and start to invite them either to your life group or to church? 
We're supposed to be engaging. We're supposed to be moving all the way in. We're supposed to be building the relationships. We're supposed to be increasing, not decreasing. And that's not about a church growth vision. It's about engaging our city and putting on display the life that I witness every time I come here. Now, ask the question, and you can just answer that for yourselves. You know what I love about the Genesis, the early part of this church? I remember when this church was planted, Andre. It was birthed out of xenophobia. The word xenos means strangers. Phobia, fear. Our city exploded with people on the run, foreigners on the run, because of fear and the messaging coming out of insecure communities and poverty and all kinds. I know it's very complicated. I'm not a politician. I don't understand it, but I know this much. We then started to roll out the red carpet of care, compassion, and into that came a group of people that were the original founding members of this church. You know what we responded to xenophobia with? Biblical hospitality. Hospitality is the exact opposite word in the Greek for xenophobia. It's strange, it's the love of strangers, not the fear of strangers. The Christian gospel flourished and exploded in the Western Empire because Christians opened their homes and their dining room tables and their lives to people on the outside. They'd moved all the way in and then they opened up their dining room tables, opened up their communities. They weren't these closed little micro communities of uh, the initiated, keeping it all to ourselves. I really do feel in my prayer for you guys as God's wanting to light up that fresh fire that started this church in the beginning and to move more intentionally from, uh, uh, from the scourge that we responded to back there of xenophobia into this front-footed hospitality. And it's not hospitality in your life group, and it's not hospitality with your friends and people you know. It's a vision for hospitality for strangers, people on the outside. And we commanded to welcome strangers in the book of Hebrews, and some have done that, have entertained angels unawares. In other words, there's something supernatural in that when we get our focus off ourselves. Number four, move all the way in. Number two, be distinct. Number three, increase, do not decrease. Number four, seek the shalom of the the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Look, notice the order. Some of us think, I want to get prosperous so that I can bless our city. It's seek the the blessing of the city simultaneously to your own blessing. Now, this is a unique thing. What God is saying here is so radical. Nobody in history has ever been asked to seek the welfare of their captives. It's the New Testament expression of loving your enemies in advance. The gospel calls us to that. And the word shalom is not seek the shalom of um, let's have peace and love and affection. No, seek the shalom is seek the full flourishing 
of the cities and the communities that you're in. Seek their educational flourishing. Seek the, uh, the, 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 the job creation flourishing. Seek every part of what the city needs. That's where common good was born out of. Seek the flourishing. That's what Bridges is now doing uh, as, it, as it teams with Common Good and some other initiatives in the city. You can't seek the prosperity of the city unless you're seeking the prosperity of your own community too, which means everybody who's economically active has to realize that you can't seek the welfare of the city without seeking the welfare of the city of God, the church within that city. Caesar just takes his portion of tax. Every time we buy anything, he's got VAT. He just takes it. He's got it. He's got a system. God doesn't rule like that. God rules through the, the all-conquering affections of his love in our hearts. He gets us to love him. He gets us to see his worthiness. He gets us to, to want to realize. We're so grateful for the jobs we have, and so we give generously to underwrite uh, what God is doing in and through the local church. And the, the one thing every Christian has to front up to, we need to look in the mirror and we've got to say, God, thank you for your faithfulness in my life financially. But the one thing that can never, ever, ever happen in our lives is that we spend everything God gives us on ourselves. There's got to be that sense of, God, I'm going to be part of giving you Something, even if it's out of my little. And the Bible is just full of stuff on that. And then, of course, just for some of you who are more entrepreneurially wired, seek the welfare of your city means be entrepreneurial. Get a, get a vision for, hey, what can we do to keep job creation going? Become economically active. Remember, it says plant vineyards. It's code for start businesses. Don't look at me like that. I didn't literally mean go and plant vineyards. I mean be economically active in a way that brings blessing to others that results in jobs, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Okay, there's a prize now for anybody who can mention all four very quickly before I give you the fifth. Number one. Oh, there were just too many of you got it right. <laughs> You're going to have tea and coffee afterwards for... And, and apparently you get a double prize if you sign up for a community group. <laughs> Guys, this is the one that I've missed. It's right at the heart of the passage we read. I'd never seen it. And then I realized, you can't do one to four unless you've done and are doing number five. And number five is refuse short-termism and false narratives. Refuse short-termism, like the answer's just around the corner, and, and the lies. We're talking about Look what Jeremiah says. Do not let, he's talking to the guys in, in Babylon, do not let your prophets and your diviners. So what's happened is some false prophets have also come up into the city where they are. They didn't just leave Hananiah's stuff. They now got 
other prophets who are prophesying falsely. And he says this, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So he's given them all those things he wants them to do. And then he says, shut down the false narratives. Shut down the lies. And I'm on a front-footed mission to warn believers about their addiction to social media and conspiracy theories. Some people know more about what's happening on the dark web than they know what is happening in the bright lights of Scripture. And I rebuke you if you're one of those people peddling the lies that are not biblical, they're the opinions of men, and they're telling us what they do, and they're they, they sucking us and, and seducing us into fantasies, and then we think we've got to, we think, we, we, think we, we know it all. We've got to get back to submit ourselves to God's story, God's narrative. He says, I want to put my people on display. I know some of you got really, really offended when I said I rebuke you. But let me just say to you, I really do rebuke you. <laughs> but I rebuke you in the most loving way because how are some people ever going to wake up? You don't drift out of that. You did get delivered out of it. The Hananiahs are the metaphor for social media rubbish. And I want to say to you, if you can't have a break for two weeks from social media, you are addicted, you are in bondage, and you're submitted to the voice of culture in a way that is hurting and harming you, and hey, guys, don't elbow your kids and say, I warned you, teenage kid, because the kids are wanting to warn you because they've seen our behaviors, how, off the, how silly we get when we read newspapers and all that stuff. Time to get back to the book, to be under the authority of Scripture, and time to realize that we're in a longer game. We are not who's going to be the next president of America. Is it this or is it that? That's not our fight. Our fight is for the faithfulness of Christian witness in a world that is broken and is getting more crazy by the hour. Don't join the crazies. Shells, am I embarrassing you? She's my daughter-in-law. She's my best, best daughter-in-law. Oh, yeah. The only, only daughter-in-law. <laughs> Okay, guys, I'm being a little bit playful because there's so much weight in what I'm saying, and I'm wanting you to know that I, it takes courage not to be a Hananiah. I don't want to be a Hananiah. I want to be a Jeremiah. I want to bring to you an application of the Word of God, faithfulness one day, and, and, and today ought, ought to be the only thing that matters. Now, there's a fantastic guy I'm learning from. His name is Carl Truman, and he tells the story of in about 1248 A.D., in the city of Cologne, the first stonemasons got together and started chipping away at rocks to lay the foundations for what is today the Cologne Cathedral. The difference was he also couldn't wait to teach his kids how to also chip away at the rocks. And you had this community of tradesmen laying the foundations 
for something that they would never ever see in their lifetime. Whilst they were doing that, the carpenters were at work, but they were not working on timber. They were planting the forests that still exist hundreds and hundreds of years later in some parts of Cologne, out of which they would cut down the trees to build the arches internally, to do all the woodwork. Why am I telling you the story? Because, and there were many other people who did all kinds of things. It's because the Cologne Cathedral was only completed in about 1880-odd. It took 642 years of people. Here's my question. What kept that first generation of people and succeeding generations of people, what kept them on course? And I'm not into fancy religious buildings. That's not my thing. It's the, it's the metaphor that it represents. What kept them going? A sense that what they were doing was transcendent. A sense of what they were doing would benefit people in hundreds of years down the road. A sense of long-termism that says we're living in the narrative of God for his glory and fame in culture. And many years later, worshippers would gather in that, in that cathedral and would be grateful for those hundreds of years previously who anticipated their day who laid down their lives, who paid the price, who said, we're going to do it. That's the Christian gospel. It's a long obedience in the same direction. I call it anointed plodding. Just do what you have to do. There's nothing sexy about that, but there's something glorious about loving God and giving yourself to what he's doing in your generation. And that sense of transcendence, transcendent purpose, something other than what's the latest investment scheme, well, that's just to benefit you. The transcendent purpose, the role of the city of God, the church within the city of man, to represent that eternal other way of doing life. Even in crazy seasons of the world's history, God's always had a people. And I want to say to you, this church's future, our church common ground, every church's future is, it will be determined by whether we have that transcendent purpose, whether we can shut up those voices who are saying, oh, let's get it finished by next week. Why is it taking so long? Daddy, are we there yet? When you go on holiday, you know that thing? We like just like that at, the, at, a, at a higher level. And then what Jeremiah does, as he's told them how to live, he brings them this prophetic encouragement. For I know the plans I have for you, plural, the people of God in exile. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will come to me and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. You will, when you search me with all your heart, you'll, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore you from the captivity and gather you from all the nations and places to which I banished you, declares the Lord. I will restore you to the place from which you have come. Why does he say this? He's preaching safety and security under the sovereign hand of God. He says, I want you to get there. And I'm going to visit you, and I'm going to be among you, and I'm going to comfort you, and I'm going to ultimately 
bring you home. This is not our home. We remind ourselves of this. We're doing life. We have homes and houses and we're grateful and we can have lots of joy and enjoy the season we're in. We don't, we don't just want to get to heaven. We, want to go, we can live our lives with joy and fullness even now. He freely gives us all things to enjoy, Paul writes to Timothy. He's not trying to pleasure-proof our lives, but he does want us to get a fresh security and confidence as we serve his purposes in the world. Lord, I ask that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we would have hope, that we would have that that security, that our roots would go deeper into the eternal, undeserved love of God, that we would stand in grace and realize how privileged we are, that there is a way to be incredibly secure, joyful, uh, even in our moment in history. Bless this community. Thank you for the privilege of sharing your word. Commend the elders and life group leaders and all the deacons and all the ministry leaders. I want to pray, Lord, that they would be freshly secured uh, and commissioned to lead with, uh, with love and sensitivity, but also to, leave with, to lead with faith all this for your namesake, for the glory of your Son. Amen.